you know, I was always got, I always wanted to do, be able to say like in the spring of 96, you know, that it just seems like it should be like 1796 or 1896, right? But it really was the spring of 1996 that I had to come, Cheryl had been uh, attending some to the church that we were, that we had become a part of for a short period of time because once I came to Christ, six months later, we would move to Lancaster so I could go to Bible college. But they, they, Cheryl was working with a youth group, and, and I, they invited me along to work with a youth group. And, uh, uh, and good idea or bad idea, I don't know. Just a, I was just a punching bag, basically, for the junior high students. And so that was all I did. I, went, I didn't do any teaching. I was a lost guy that was helping with, with the youth find Christ. You know, I don't know how all that pans out, but God used it. And that spring of that year, the year I came to Christ, we went rafting with the, with the students. And, and it, you wrap, wrap down Pine Creek, uh, down through the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon. But you have to do that early, early, early in the spring because the snow needs to melt to, to raise the river enough to really get a good rafting trip in. So it's like the 1st of April, and, just, and it was single digits when we left that morning. It was, it, was, it was a good thing the water was moving because it was cold. I think it was like 8 or 9 degrees that morning when we left. It did warm up to like 40, 45 degrees throughout the day. So we were good. We all had wetsuits on, and we were good. We were warm. We were safe. And we were rafting the river. And, and it was a fun time. I got stuck with the six junior high students that I think no one else wanted. And, uh, and, and they were the ones that... that that you sure were going to be juvenile delinquents or maybe already were. And, and some of them are business owners and state representatives and all kinds of stuff now. But they were junior high students in the raft that I was in. And, and, and we were headed out, and I figured, yeah, we're going to do all right. I got three junior high bucks on each side here. I'm going to do some steering, and we're going to navigate this river. Well, those junior high bucks had no idea what they were doing, nor did they really want to have an idea what they are doing. They were more interested in whacking each other with the oars or spraying each other with water than they were rowing down the river. And I, so much so that I told the one young buck, I said, either you sit down and shut up or I'm going to throw you into the river. He said, you don't dare. I grabbed him right by the shirt collar, and I threw him right over into the white water. And then I reached over, and I grabbed him, and I pulled him right back out of the water, and I sat him back down in the raft. I said, now row! We had ended up about halfway down the river. We had ended up uh, way behind. We couldn't even see the other rafts. We were so far behind. We had done more spinning down the, the river than we had navigating the river. And we were exhausted. And we weren't having a fun time at all. We weren't seeing anything that we wanted to see because we were all just disgruntled and in a big disarray. And we, we parked in where we were supposed to have lunch, and we had lunch, and we got back in the raft. And I said, guys, let's look at it. We're going to do something different this leg of the trip. We're going we're to do this. And we, we started to talk through some, and now we're going to, when I say row, you're going to row. And when I say row, you're going to row right? And we back and forth, and all of a sudden, I got in the raft with those guys, and the way we took after lunch. You could have skied behind us. Those guys knew what they were doing. They got it together, and we were rowing down that, that stream, and we were navigating the white water, and we were way ahead of the other rafts, and we were, we were having a great time 
going down the stream and seeing the scenes and being able to enjoy the white water challenges and also the, the calmer water when we could see the eagle or the eagles next to over the river. It just was a beautiful moment. I have almost no memory of any scenery on the beginning of the trip. All I have is just is this sheer grip our teeth feelings when I talk about the first half of the trip. But the second half of the trip was, was, was monumental. It was a beautiful moment. And as I thought through that story again this week of those guys and the first half of the trip and the second half of the trip, I'm wondering as a church, as the church of uh, the USA, the local church, are we more like the first half or are we more like the second half of the trip? Are we striving together? Are we moving together? Or is everybody kind of doing their own thing and we're whirligigging down the river? And some of us are falling in and some of us are angry. Or are we really joined together? Are we really navigating the river, the white water river? I call this message white water churching. Because we're in the white water. We're in life. We're in life when the white water is real. Some moments are calm, and some moments are, are, are hair-raising. Some moments are white water. And the church is in that. We are the church. And Paul starts to talk to the church in Romans 16. He, he ends with this, in this, this letter to the Roman church. And he begins to mention, he mentions 20 or 30 different names of those people that are in the church. And he starts to list them, the people in the raft, if you will. The people in the raft. And he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of, of, of Christ in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her help, uh, the help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. He's talking about Phoebe, uh, a church person, one in a, a lady in the church, brave. You know how far it was from point A to point B? 1,800 miles. 24-day trip. And Phoebe was taking that trip because God had said, take the trip and go to Rome and help the Romans out. So Phoebe, a woman in the first century, 1,800 miles, traveling 24 days, brave and courageous and motivated. There are brave and courageous and motivated people in the church. And Paul said, you need to commend Phoebe. She's doing an amazing job. And he went on to greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. They risked their very lives for me. Not only me, but all the churches of the Gentiles are so grateful for them. Greet the church that meets in their home as well. This people, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, that are in the church. They're brave, risk-taking people. Do you know how inconvenient it is to have a home church? You can't skip church. If you do, it's going to be really weird. If you're just upstairs sleeping or you didn't make it to church and everybody shows up at your home, they're talking about Priscilla and Aquila were committed to growing the body of Christ. They were committed. They were in the raft of they called the church. They were in the raft and they were navigating the white water. Phoebe was there, brave and courageous. And Priscilla and Aquila were there, courageous and brave and put their lives on the line for other people. They were willing to stand in the gap and do war and do battle for other people, including Paul. 
verses 5 and 6 say, Greet uh, uh, my dear friend Epenetos, who was the first convert to Christ in the providence of Asia. The first convert. Can you imagine being the first convert? Ricky, stand up, man. You didn't know this, but Ricky's the first convert when I become a pastor. February of 20, of 01. February of 01. Ricky has been a believer for 23 years. And I can remember the Sunday that he stood up. I can remember the Sunday he stood up and he said, I just want to let everybody know I come to Jesus this week. And I couldn't help myself. I come down off that platform and I embraced Ricky. He's the first convert in my pastoral ministry. He's in the raft. Oh, greet Mary too, who worked very hard for you. Greet Mary too, the, the hard-working lady that just would not say no, and she would work hard. She went above and beyond the norm. Greet Andronicus and Julius. Just so you know, that's probably husband and wife as well. My dear relatives who have been in prison with me, you want to really bond your marriage, go to prison together. That just seems to have to work. You know, they're stepping out and they're taking their faith and, and they end up in prison because they're, they're committed. They're that committed. But look at it. They were outstanding. They have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among uh, the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. That's, they're about, they're, just so you know, they're about 25 years into their faith journey, and they're still going to prison because they're so radical for Jesus. So I don't know if you've been walking with Jesus for 25 or more years, but that doesn't slow down. You get radical for Jesus, and it makes a difference. They're in the boat. They're in the raft, walking or navigating down this white water churching that God has us in. And God has this church in. And this church is in the white water. And that's where I want to be because that's where people get in trouble. I'm not looking to just float down with my derriere stuck in the water. I'm looking to navigate the white water with the church. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Oh, oh, greet Stachus. He's my dear friend. Greet Apelius, tested and proved in Christ. How would you like to be that guy? I don't know what that guy went through, but he could be here this morning. His name could be Will. It's down through the woods. When you're supposed to be on a motorcycle on the asphalt, but all of a sudden sliding through the woods with nothing on you but God directing you around every big tree there was. A guy who just went through cancer treatment, I'm telling you, he's been tested and he's been approved and he's in our raft. We're not just talking about stacks of the Bible, we're talking about the wills of the world. Church, we're, we, are, we have an amazing rap crew. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. 
You know, it's, uh, they, th they think that Aristobulus is actually the, great, the grandson of Herod the Great. Who guess? remember the story? Wanted to kill Jesus when he was two. He was such a man's man, he wanted to kill two-year-olds. And this is his grandson in the boat of the church? Some of you didn't have very good upbringings, and I'm sorry for that. But God's got a place in the raft for you. It doesn't matter who your grandfather was. It doesn't matter who your dad was. It matters who you are. And he wants to do something in your life. And he wants to do something amazing. And he wants to put you in the raft with whitewater churching. Because this world needs a raft full of people. This world needs a raft full of people that God has joined together. This world needs a raft full of people, not people just sitting on the sidelines watching the world go down the river. But one that is in the raft and navigating the white waters. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of the narcissists who, 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 who are in the Lord. Ah, oh, greet uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women. Woo! He says, they're hardworking. They greet my friend Parasus, another woman who has worked very hard uh, in the Lord. Uh, people who are not just walking in, 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 in just through life, but people that are walking out their faith in life are in the graft. People that have seen God move. Maybe people that are struggling through some junk in their life, but they're in the raft, and they know God's going to do a work, and God's using them, and God's doing something in their life. Oh, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mom. Don't forget Rufus's mom. She was like a mom to me. She's like that mom in the neighborhood. And she's not afraid to take care of any kids here. Read Rufus's mom. I'd like to make the Bible just Rufus's mom. We don't even know who she is. But Paul said she was like a mom to me. I needed a mom at times, and she was like a mom to me. If you need a mom, there's a mom in the church. You fall down and you scrape your knee, and you got you got dads that'll walk by and say, "Get up, suck it up." But you got a mom there that'll come alongside of you. There's moms in the church. Greet, just a minute, I, I practice all these names, just so you know that. Because Dan told me a few weeks ago, don't skip over the names. I hate it when I feel convicted from the guy speaking up here. So just so you know, I have, it, 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 it's uh, syncretus, and I have it spelled out a Sink, S-I-N-K, so I know how to say it. That's the way I have it spelled on my paper. Asyncretus. Greet Asyncretus and, and Phlegon and Hermes and Hepatrobus and Hermas and the brothers with them. Oh, 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 oh. greet Philogus and Julia and Neros and his sister. Don't forget his sister and Olympus and all the saints that are with them. people, the church is a one-of-a-kind group of people. People that uh, are all walks of life and people of all ages, and calendar ages and also spiritual ages. 
people that have, have a, with, a, with a messed up past. People who, who need a mom and people who need someone to help them along the way. People who are walking with Jesus no matter how much it costs. People who are putting it on the line for others. People who are brave and compassionate and motivated. But not so motivated that they run over everybody else. Motivated and they can come alongside of someone else and help them as well. The church is a one of a kind group of people. People who are walking the walk. People who in Romans 12.1 says there this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I just got to ask us this morning, have you ever just done that? Just stood before the Lord and say, I offer myself as a living sacrifice to you, God. This is my reasonable act of worship. If you have never done that, I'm not necessarily going to ask you to do that at this moment, but just in your own heart and in your own, own, own spirit, or even, even as you go home, say it out loud. Say, in Jesus' name, I offer myself as a living sacrifice to you, God. Because I'm in the raft, and I don't want to be just someone who's floating along. God, I want your power. I want your anointing. I want your favor. I want it all to rest on me as well. And then maybe just 10 verses later, he says to the Roman church, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And I think we, we run out of fervor serving the Lord because maybe we never offered ourselves as a living sacrifice. The church of Rome had people who had stood and said, God, I'm offering myself. And all of a sudden, they knew that they could have the zeal and the spiritual fervor to serve the Lord, to navigate the white waters of life together. And then in verse 16, he starts speaking to the whole church. And he says this in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Don't worry, I'm not coming down and kiss you, Paul, but you know what that means? It does, okay, in that culture, maybe a, a, a kiss on the cheek. But it really it meant this. Looking right in the eye and say, I got you. No matter what happens, I got you. That's what that means. And the church needs to be full of people that look at other people and say, I got you. Jesus says this, by this, uh, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There is an amazing love that only can, the supernatural love that can only be produced by the believers in Jesus Christ, by those walking it out with God. And they are the ones, they are the ones who can look each other in the eye and say, I don't know what you're going through, but I got you. No matter where you're going, I got you. Because nobody throws anybody out of the raft in the church. And you might be suffering, but you got to know there's a supernatural love going on here. And as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, and as we, we see the spiritual fervor come upon us, and, and, this, and this zeal to come upon us, and all of a sudden we start to feel, and we start to love, and we start to, start to, to know the love of God, and it starts to saturate us, and it starts to come out of us, and we start to look at one another and say, Woo! Wherever you go, I'm with you, buddy. You're not going alone. I got this, I got this, this 
this, this clip, or this video clip from someone this past week. And it's, and it's all these one kind of animal attacking a, a lion. And it says, don't fight alone. The lion was losing the battle big time because all the other animals were after it. The church fights together. How many times have I told a marriage, told a couple in a marriage, will you stop fighting nose to nose and start fighting shoulder to shoulder? That's what the church does. The church fights together. They greet each other with a holy kiss. I, I, I got you, love. And said, I got you, love. And then he says in verses 17 and 18, I urge you, speaking again to the church, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put an obstacle in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. They got nothing good in mind. See, what the enemy needs to do, what Satan needs to do, is cause division in the body because he knows how dangerous this body is when it stands together. So the enemy can't take your soul, but he can take your unity. And when we're bound together with an I got you type of love, the enemy takes notice. We need to do something about that church. We need to do something about that individual. We need to do something in their life. We need to cause division. We need to make them stumble. We need to break up that church. We need to break up that family. I start seeing the family all of a sudden. They're praying at supper time. They're reading the Bible together. They're listening to worship music. They're not fighting near as much. You got to do something, demon. You got to do something. That family's starting to grow closer together. It's your job to screw them up. Paul says you need to stay firm. And he'll use people to cause division and doubt in our lives. And he'll use other things to cause division and doubt. One thing he wants you to stop you believing is John 3.16, that God loves you. You've got to be kidding me. He'll say in your ear, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. God doesn't really love you. Do you see what kind of life you're living? Do you see what kind of thing? Do you see your past? There's no way that God can love you. And all of a sudden, we start grabbing on to another belief rather than the belief that God loves us. And all of a sudden, we start getting stumbled up because we don't know if God loves us. And the enemy's just speaking in our ear. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't, he, they don't know your past. I know your past. God can't love you. Maybe he's speaking, trying to get you not to believe John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. God doesn't want you to have life. He, don't, he can't have you believing that. He can't have you believing that, that God wants you to have life and have it to the fullest. He can't want you to believe that, the, speaking of the enemy. Because if you believe that, you're going to be hungry for more of God. And when you get hungry for more of God, all of a sudden the raft starts to move through the white water with great determination and great dedication. The raft is full of people, amazing people. And I don't need to read the Bible to see a church full of amazing people, to see a raft full of amazing people.
He can't get you to, he's, he, the enemy needs you to stop believing that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He needs you to stop believing that in Galatians 5.1. That, that, I've heard this over and over and over in the last 23 plus years of ministry. Talking to people that, that are just out, out there in the world. And it, it always comes around to God just wants to mess with my freedom. No, God wants to give you real freedom. The world's messing with your freedom. And your flesh is messing with your freedom. And the demons are messing with your freedom. It's not God messing with your freedom. Maybe he doesn't want you to believe you. 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess a sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Yet he only met the little ones. Apparently, we, we begin to believe that. I, I, I've sinned too much. God can't forgive me. God, he can but the enemy needs you to believe that he can't and he won't. And maybe he needs you to believe 1 John 4, 4. Not believe 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God, have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I'm telling us right now, the raft is starting to straighten out and the raft is starting to go down the white water and the raft is starting to make a big difference in the community and in the, in the world that they're a part of. And the enemy needs to stop believing that. Look at what he says in verse 19. Everyone uh, has heard about your obedience. So I am full of joy over you. Obedience. You're walking with God. It's, it's, it, 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 it's what people are talking about. Can you imagine that? That people had to gossip about how much you're obeying God. You go to the hairstylist or you go to the barbershop and all you hear is about how, man, how... Man, he's walking with God. Man, he loves his wife so much. Man, she is an amazing mom. Man, I, she prayed with me the other day. He prayed with me. Can you imagine that just being the gossip? That's what people are talking about this church. Their obedience. But then he goes on to say, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Be wise to what is good. Wise is skilled. Know what is good and, and, and let it alter your life. He said, I want you to continue to walk this out and get more and more and more. And see, the goal is not just to be a better oarsman than the guy behind you. It's to be all that Jesus called you to be. And he said, I want you to be wise to what is good because God's pouring more good into you and more good and more good and more good and more good. And he wants you to know how to use it. But he wants you to be innocent about what is evil. And that word innocent means unmixed. He don't want you to get mixed up with what is evil because that just messes up your life. So church, you need to, you have this supernatural love for each other. You have this, this solid belief in what God says is true. And you're walking that out in your life. And God's pouring more, and I need you to be wise to what is good. And the enemy is pouring more, and the demonic in your flesh, and the world is pouring more. You've got to learn how to be unmixed with junk. Look at verse 20. I love this verse. The God of peace will soon crush Satan's, Satan under your feet. I just love that. I, I want the sovereign God or, you know, God of might or God of strength. It's the God of peace. will crush Satan under your head, under your, under your feet. 
just so you know, you're going to go places and you're going to do things that Satan now owns. And God's going to give you great victory. And you're going to walk and you're going to pin him to the ground. And you're going to stand on his neck. Not only are you going to have victory, but you're going to have known victory. You're going to stand on his neck. And then I love how it finishes. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. See, that just, to me, I was saying that all week. And the peace, and a God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the peace of Christ be with you. <laughs> it's like a bipolar verse. But it's a powerful verse. But see what's happening? You see the supernatural love? Do you see what's happening? Do you see what we're starting to believe and grab a hold of what God's doing and what God has already told us, known truth? And do you see what happens? God is start continuing to pour stuff into us and we're grasping that and we're starting to know, I'm not mixed up with that. I need to set that aside because I'm in the wrath. I'm whitewater churching, baby, and there is wrathing to do. And when the enemy faces us, he will face a formidable opponent. As a matter of fact, we will get victory over him. More on that next week. Keep walking with Jesus and your victory is in your hand. You will stand on the neck of the demonic forces, the darkness, and the powers of this dark world in complete victory. But then he goes on, and I'm moving down to 25 now in the passage. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel. I wrestled with that a little this week. Paul's talking. Get your tract out. Get your, get your track out. Get that thing out I handed you. Put it, just put it in your hand. I'm not asking you to stand up and read it. I'm just asking you to put it in your hand. If you don't have one, put your hand up. He, Eli's going to get you one. We've got to have some quickly. It's worth the wait. Over here. Back toward the back. Put that in your hand. Put it in the palm of your hand. I gotta wait till everybody gets one. We're gonna just have to I'll show a commercial or something. Isn't that what the kids did? I should take notice of that. The kids did that, right? December. You got it in your hand? You know what they are? You know what they are? They're called gospel tracts, right? You got the gospel in your hand. Paul says that God is able, to, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel because he's taken personal responsibility and privilege to carry that gospel into a world. It's in my hand, he says. Jesus left it to me. It's in my hand. And God is able to establish you, establish your neighbor, establish your, 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 your friend, establish your husband, establish your, your wife. With what the information you have in your hand, he's able to do that with that gospel. And it's in your hand. Jesus left it in your hand and in my hand. Do we own it? Do we take the responsibility? We didn't pay for it. I get that. 
but he put it in our hand. Is it our gospel? He said the church needs to have their gospel, the gospel of Jesus, and they need to take ownership of that, and they need to take privilege of that and the responsibility of that because this world needs the gospel, he said. This world needs the good news about Jesus. It's not just about the church. Push the button. It's not just about the church. It's not just about uh, us living, uh, loving each other. It's not just about obedience. It's not just about embracing truth. It's not just about steering around evil. It's not just about defeating Satan. It includes grasping and carrying the gospel to a lost and dying world. Church, we need to do that. It's in your hand this morning. What are you going to do with it? Put it on the van floor? You mean to tell me you're going to take something that has the ability to establish someone in God and just leave it in the van? If you had a medicine to fix what's wrong with me and you kept it hidden from me, I would be after you. And how cruel would that be? This world needs the gospel. And Paul says, the gospel is in my hand. My gospel. Mine. Because the Son of Man, Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's the mission of Jesus. The gospel. Romans 3. I got some pictures here I drew. Romans 3. I've drawn this picture so many times. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. Everybody's walking away from God. That dude is walking away from God. And everybody that doesn't know Jesus is walking away from God. There is no one good enough. If you think someone's got it together and they're good enough because they're good enough, we need to rework our gospel message. Because no one is good enough. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. If you're saying, well, my, my, child, my husband, he doesn't even think about God. You're right. My, my son or my grandson, my daughter or my granddaughter, they're not even thinking about My neighbor doesn't even think about God. You're right. You're right. You're right. They're not. They don't give two flips about God. You're right. And neither did I at one time in my life. There is no difference, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is, there is no difference. For, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's this big cavern of sin. And I'm speaking to, I'm just speaking the gospel this morning. Maybe that's you this morning. And you're not even thinking about God. And maybe all of a sudden you start thinking about God. And there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he says in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. You see what's happening? The Father draws him. The Father's drawing. And all of a sudden, the guy turns around and he starts to walk toward God and he runs into this big sin mess in his life. And all of a sudden he's not good enough and he can't make it. But he can hear the voice of God saying, come, I'm drawing you. I'm drawing you. I love you. 
It's not, it's God who draws. Jesus says, nobody's coming to me unless the Father draws him. And I'm telling us right now that God will draw everyone in this world at one time or another. And maybe he's drawing you this morning. But hang on, that's not where it stops. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the gospel. Nobody's searching after God. And if it wasn't for God, no one would ever search after God. But when God starts seeking you, if, and I've heard people say this, and maybe I've even said this, I found God. No, you didn't, he found you. He thinks you're worth saving. Not only did he send his son to the cross to pay for your sins, but he searched you out. And just so we know, he's searching out your disgruntled neighbor too. But God did something. He sent his one and only son. Push the button. For God so loved the world that he made this bridge across this cavern and doing away with the penalty and the repercussions of sin that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. See, God loves us so much. Not only does he need us to believe that, but he needs us to take a hold of what he has already done through Jesus. Say, I forgive you. Walk across because really what I want, push the button, really what I want is this. Now this is eternal life that you may know intimately the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he sends. God says, I want a relationship with you and I want to continue to pour into you over and over and over. The gospel. so simple and so powerful that you can explain it with a few colors or maybe instead of a dozen roses just to someone who loves you just so you know if you're going to go out to eat after this and you're going to leave your track with some the, the waitress it's minimum of a 20% tip to leave a track don't be leaving no dollar or something with a track As a matter of fact, I would go 100% of the bill and the track. The gospel will transform lives. They will establish people. They will it will establish men and women. It will establish families. The gospel establishes us in Christ. Look what he says back in 25 and 27 again. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Just so we know, it may be about the church, and I think it is. It is about loving each other, and it is about embracing truth, and it is about steering around evil, and it is about obedience, and it is about defeating Satan, and it is about grasping and carrying the gospel. But make no mistake, it's about Jesus. This church revolves around Jesus.
And when we do, whitewater churching is in full, full working. And there are people in the stream, and there are people along the embankments that need a church that's whitewater churching. Not a church that's racking each other with oars. It's about Jesus. Paul says, man, you've got a raft full of people out there in Rome. Make sure they look across every once in a while and say, man, I got you. Make sure they're believing what God wants them to believe because the enemy wants to, dis to separate that. Make sure they're ready to know that God wants to put more into them. Make sure they're ready to know that the enemy wants to pour into them and they've got to be unmixed with that junk. Make sure they know that they've got the gospel in their hand that will establish people. And make sure they know that it's about Jesus. It's not about them. I don't like this in the church. I don't like this in the church. Frankly, I don't care. What does Jesus want? He wants this church to be whitewater churchy because there's a lot of people in the river that need Jesus. How about a new life? Stand with me today. Father, thank you for these moments together. Father, I want to thank you for the people that are in this raft called New Life. There are people getting it done here. I can look down every row. And I see someone who has experienced you, who has been healed by you. I see people who have been protected by you. I see people that are hungry. I see people that have been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive. And they're still passionate. I see people who will stand in the gap and go and help no matter where the help is needed. I see this church. I see new life. I see this raft. And Father, I see the people that are in the stream and rafts that are upside down and people that are floating down the stream and people are just waiting on the embankment because their life has crashed and burned. Lord, help us to grab a hold of known truth. Love each other. Get more truth from you. Stand on the neck of Satan. Receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Carry the gospel. Talk about Jesus. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for new life. Thank you for what you are doing. You have done. And I'm on the edge of my seat for what you're going to be doing. So Father, be honored and glorified through the attitude and action of the men and women of the church. Not just, just a minute. The church whether we're 90-some or whether we're three or four. Be glorified by the church, young and old. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.